0: What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and I am so thankful that you guys are here. We have our last episode of August, which is we got five weeks in August, or at least five Mondays, I should say, and that allowed us to get one more tax episode in. And I can't wait to go through this one because I think this one, you're actually going to learn the most out of all the shows uh, because we're going to be talking about common tax deductions, standard deduction, itemized deductions, All the fun stuff that i think you guys really need to understand about your taxes especially if you're going to do taxes on your own so if this show has been of any value to any of you guys please please share it with one other physician or physician family i'd love to continue to grow the community and help you guys out and speak in the community if you haven't joined us yet please do so financialresidency.com slash community where you can hang out with us, ask questions, join about 5,500 of us in our community. So really, really cool. So join us, financialresidency.com slash community. Now to round out the fifth tax show, of course, I have on John McCarthy, uh, co-founder of Physician Tax Advisors that we just launched this August on to discuss these common tax deductions. So Quick little disclaimer, like we always do, right? This is not a financial plan. This is not this is not specific advice. This is not tax planning or tax advice. This is general knowledge. So please treat it as that. You would need to have someone that knows your situation to give you exact advice. So I don't think you should take advice from anyone on the internet. So if you need to reach out to your CPA, your financial planner, please do so before making any big financial decisions because that's just the smart thing to do. So let's head in and talk with John round out this last week and just a little preview next month, because all of you actually really wrote in loved doing a full month deep dive on a topic next month. We're going to be talking all about insurance, term insurance and disability insurance specifically. So let's jump in with John and hang out, talk about common tax deductions. What's up, John? Welcome back onto the show. This is the fifth and final time we will be torturing you by coming on and talking all about tax I don't know torturing you or maybe it's torturing everyone else because August was tax month but either way welcome back and it's uh, nice to have you here
1: I'm glad to be back
0: we can basically talk about common ways uh, common tax deductions that are going to save our physicians listeners some money here and I think that if we break down really quick again the difference between a tax deduction and a tax credit I think that will really help kick this off and then we'll jump into some of these deductions.
1: Yeah, it's an important distinction to know the difference uh, because uh, some tax benefits are worth a lot more than others. So, yeah, we talk a little bit about tax deductions and tax credits. So uh, there's a lot of deductions in the code and tax deductions allow you to reduce your adjusted gross income. So that's a good thing. That does help us save some money, but what that means essentially is that if you have a dollar or less of income and your tax rate is 25%, for example, that means you save $0.25 cents in tax. So it, it's good, but it's not a dollar-for-dollar dollar reduction in tax liability like a tax credit is. Things like child tax credit that we'll talk a little bit about later on, uh, probably, here, would be a dollar-for-dollar dollar reduction in your tax liability. So you know, let's say you're, you owe $10,000 a tax, but you have a child and you get a child tax credit for two thousand dollars now your ten thousand dollars in tax is now eight thousand dollars in tax because of the 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 credit so it's a dollar for dollar reduction
0: yeah i mean it would be nice if there was a ton of different tax credits in the codes versus deductions in the codes but uh, that's okay Okay. we're going to talk through a bunch of deductions and then we'll kind of round out i think our call here with just some of the common tax credits that some of our physicians may see as we're going through. So how would you like to kick us off with some common deductions? I know we talked a little bit about workplace stuff. Actually, I think it was our first episode of August, but maybe we'd give a real brief recap of maybe some of the workplace ones and then we can go from there.
1: Yeah, Yeah, so there there are some workplace deductions that are gonna help reduce your income that you're gonna get on your W-2 at the end of the year. So those are always good as well. The common ones there for people is a 401k deduction. Um, that many people are familiar with. So you have 401k available to you. That does help reduce the, the uh, taxable income on your W-2, so that's good. There's also some health-related deductions that you might have depending on what type of employee benefits that you have available to you to work. Um, these would be flexible spending accounts, HSAs, and medical insurance uh, that can be deducted from your net pay as well.
0: And then we have, I think we should now probably touch on the standard deduction because this might be where most people sit and we're going to, trust me, open that can of worms of itemized deductions right after this. But I think we should, let's start with the standard deduction. What is the standard deduction? How much is it? And why would someone choose uh, to use the standard deduction? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's an area that um, can be confusing, uh, especially if, you're just looking at potentially itemized deductions uh, for the first time just knowing the difference between what is a standard deduction and, and, and what itemized deductions are basically every taxpayer is allowed a set amount to deduct from their adjusted gross income before we compute their tax liability and this is called the standard deduction um, it's a different amount depending on your filing status So for single and married filing separate individuals, the standard deduction is gonna be 12,400. For married filing joint, it's double, 24,800. So regardless of what your itemized deductions are, and we'll talk a little bit about what itemized deductions are here in a bit, I'm sure, but um, regardless of what those are, just because you're filing return, you get a standard deduction uh, of this amount. So everyone gets that.
0: All right, and those, it's a lot simpler. (laughs) way more simpler. If you take the standard deduction, maybe it's not the most beneficial, but it could be in your circumstance, depending on, I mean, personal fines is personal, let's be real. So what well, might be good for me might not be good for even John in this, but if you're taking the standard deduction, definitely easier if you're doing your own taxes, especially than doing itemized. But let's talk through this giant can of worms here. What are itemized deductions? And then what are maybe some of the most common ones that our audience would actually use.
1: Yeah. So itemized deductions have changed a little bit over the last couple of years. So we had a big tax law change for the 2018 tax year that changed to some of these items and their availability. So we'll talk about, you know, where it stands now. But if you don't hear some things uh, here on the call, it's because some of them were taken away in 2018 from us. So the big categories of itemized deductions are medical expenses state and local income taxes, which includes real estate taxes, mortgage interest, charitable contributions. Those are the big ones. There's a few uh, miscellaneous things that are still out there, but very much reduced from the 2018 tax law changes. So we won't uh, talk about those or get into the the weeds of those today because they they don't impact very many people. But uh, those are the main categories. From a big picture standpoint, if the sum of those items is higher than your standard deduction, then it's going to benefit you generally to take the itemized deductions instead. So it's a little bit more work. You've got to total all those things up and include all that stuff in your tax return, but you'll generally come out ahead then if that number's higher.
0: So if you're going to add up the big four, let's just call it for simple ease, since no one can actually see what an actual return is, even if they care to see an actual return. But let's say that we've got our big four. It would have to, if you're married filing joint, be above the $24,800 number. So as you're adding up all your deductions, it would only be beneficial if you could add up all of this and it would be more than that. Or if you're single, would be the $12,400. Now there's some guidelines, of course, lots of guidelines on how you can use these, what you can do, what you can't do. I'd like to maybe unpack each one of those because they're all different and they all have different rules and different caps and Especially the medical one. Actually, let's jump into the medical and uh, dental expense, right? If we're going to itemize those, because that one has some interesting hurdles that I think everyone should be aware of if they're going to try uh, to to itemize medical expenses.
1: Yeah, this is definitely where it gets a little bit more complicated. So we're going to get in the weeds a little bit here, but yeah, I think
0: this is still beneficial information. Don't fall asleep. Yep. Uh, we'll try to make this as fun as possible, but. This is stuff that you guys need to know. You need to understand just the basis of this. Do you need to nerd out and go read tax code like John does? No, I don't like reading tax code. I know all of you won't like reading it. No offense to John, because that's what he likes to do. But you have to be aware of just how these things flow through your return because you don't want to pay the government any more money than you have to because they're just going to waste it. So let's not pay them. Let's pay you. Let's pay your retirement accounts. Let's have fun with the kiddos let's use that money to fund stuff. So if we're going to dive into itemized deductions for medical and dental expenses, how do we navigate that minefield? Yeah.
1: yeah so the important thing on medical expenses to know is that the first seven and a half percent of your adjusted gross income. So if you think about your W-2, any other sources of income, that's your adjusted gross income for the year. The first seven and a half percent of that, is not going to be allowed as a deduction. If you have $100,000 of income, the first $7,500 of medical expenses that you incur during the year are not going to help you towards your itemized deductions. Basically, the IRS kind of throws those away. And then once you have $1 over that, that dollar starts counting towards your deduction. So it's punitive and it catches people by surprise, but what ends up happening, we find, is that you know, a lot of people don't have enough medical expenses to itemize because of this rule.
0: Yeah, it's dirty, honestly. It's 7500 We expect everyone to pay $7,500 a year in medical costs. And then over that, so we'll count that. But we're only going to count the overage, right? You don't just like, I'm, I paid $8,000, now I get all $8,000. You only get 500 in that example. It's dirty, John. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And the other trick here, too, um, that sometimes catches people by surprise is that if you have a flexible spending account or you have an HSA account, or you're, if you're thinking about your insurance cost through your workplace, if it's taken out of your paycheck on a pre-tax basis, those things don't count either because they're already pre-tax. Uh, so you're already getting a benefit for those expenses. So those don't count towards the cigarette.
0: Super dirty. Of course, though, that's how it works. Tax code. All right, so let's look at charitable contributions. We have tons of clients that we work through that are, whether they're giving part of their monthly paycheck or at the end of the year, they're doing something to a religious organization or some other charitable organization. Um, Not saying that everyone needs to, but we, we see this quite a bit. And then we start talking. I'd like you to, as you go through this one, talk a little bit about maybe bunching them together and putting it every few years versus every year. But let's talk about if you were to itemize deductions on the charitable contribution side.
1: Yeah, so not as many onerous rules here, and especially this year with the CARES Act, um, we've actually donated more this year. Uh, you can donate up to 100% of your income, your AGI this year, uh, really? for, for cash, uh, charitable contribution. In, in oh. most cases, there, there's some restrictions to that, um, depending on what you're giving. But yeah, the, they're trying to encourage donations this year. So not as many onerous rules on this side, although it is very important to keep receipts. So this is an area that the IRS, if they were to come audit you, they are very picky about this. You do have to have a written receipt for cash donations as well as non-cash donations. And uh, for the non-cash uh, description of what the, what you're giving, uh, is important to keep that record as well.
0: So if someone was giving a little bit every paycheck, let's say a couple hundred bucks, every paycheck, we have some really generous clients that give a lot more, but let's say you're giving a couple hundred bucks uh, every month to whatever organization, would that necessarily be maybe the right tax play? Obviously as a society and an emotional play, that's, I mean, anything anyone ever gives is amazing. But if we were going to put on our tax hat, is it always best to do that? Or should we look at maybe potentially bunching the charitable contributions together?
1: Yeah, so there's two main things to think about. One is that whatever dollar you give to charity, first of all, remember, this is a deduction going back to the beginning of our recording here, is that for every dollar you give, you're only going to receive, in our example, 25 cents back in tax benefit. So a lot of people will think, I'm giving a dollar, maybe I'm getting a dollar. It's really helping my tax situation. Keep in mind, you're only getting a portion of that back. Uh, it is a deduction, so that's an important thing to remember. And then to your point, it, there are some strategies here as well around bunching of these deductions, depending on your tax situation. So if you're very close to the standard deduction, so if I'm talking about a married couple, twenty, the 24800 If if sum of your itemized deductions is very close to that on a regular basis and you do give a, a decent amount to charity, we can develop a, a situation where it's best to take a standard deduction in one year and then perhaps save all of your charity for year two. And a way to do that potentially would be to give your your a, a good chunk of charity in January and December to help spread it out a little bit, but it's still in the same tax year. And that way you're getting two years worth of charity benefit um, in one year, your itemized deductions are higher in that year, too. And then we go ahead and take advantage of the higher standard deduction in, in the first year. It, is it going to make a huge difference in your situation? It, it may or may not, depending on how much you give in charity. It is a, a, a nice, valid strategy to use that can help squeeze you know a little bit of efficiency out of your tax situation.
0: And if you're not itemizing and you're taking the standard deduction, giving to charity is great but it won't help your tax situation. And I think that is really confusing to some people because you're like, I know that I, I get a tax deduction. The charities are telling me I'm going to get those write-off. You would if you itemized, but not everyone itemizes. And so sometimes if you've got nothing else, anything else we're about to talk about with itemized, and it's only going to be the charitable contributions, you're going to have to give above that 24800 to even come close to that standard deduction, you got to get above it. So if you don't own a home and well, there's some state stuff we're going to talk about, but if you aren't going to itemize, you will not get the benefit if you gave a couple hundred bucks somewhere, a couple thousand bucks somewhere. So I want to make sure we hit that common misconception on that.
1: Yeah. And now we'll throw one more thing at you because the ever-changing tax code. So of course, now- well, isn't this
0: supposed to be on a postcard? Come on, John, this is, this is a really big postcard.
1: Yeah, the very one of those fold out postcards that you pay $10 at the gift store for. Yeah.
0: It keeps unfolding all the way to the ground. Yeah. yeah.
1: So the other caveat this year is a one year issue is in 2020, we do have an above the line deduction for charitable contributions. And we'll talk what that means, mm-hmm. but just for this year, we're going to have a $300 special deduction that everyone can take advantage of for charity and they don't have to itemize to get that $300. Mm-hmm can't get what do you more mean, than 300 but uh, you get a little benefit this year, even if you can't itemize.
0: Yeah. So even perking my ears up, but I'm sure it perked everyone's ears up and they're like, wait, a hold on. So I can give $300 and how, what do I have to supply? What do we do? How do we let our CPA, right? Heads up, John, I'm going to give $300 uh, to some organization because uh, we'll find a way to do some good out there. Continue to do some good, I should say. But... What do we have to supply to our CPA or what do we need to do for backup to get that above the line? Yeah,
1: Yeah, so it still does have to be a donation to a nonprofit organization. Um, So you make sure that they are a qualified 501c3 organization. If they are, they should give you a receipt for your donation. And we just want to keep that for tax records and make sure we're putting it with all of our other stuff for year end. Uh, And uh, then we can take that deduction on the return.
0: I like it. That's neat. So let's go to the next one. Uh, The third of our big four here as state and local income taxes, right? We're in California. I pay a lot of this, a lot of this. Um, So how does this flow onto my return? What schedule does it hit? How does this flow through and what does this do in terms of itemized?
1: Yes. So it used to be before 2018, this was, you know, great. We we could have as many state and local income taxes. We could live in California like Ryan, pay lots of tax. We could deduct all of it on their term, which was, you know, awesome.
0: About that being great you're <laughs> laughing about this, okay? There's nothing great about paying a crap ton in state and local income tax. But I get it from the accounting like nerdy point of view of then I get to offset this and deduct it. Yes, but yes. This, this this hurt.
1: Yeah, so in 2018 the laws changed, and now we've got some limitations here that we have to deal with. Unfortunately, this category of itemized deductions includes all of your state and local income taxes, as well as real estate taxes and any personal property taxes, um, which uh, are, are relatively minor for most people. But this can be some auto-related taxes that you pay at the BMV um, and some other, you know, personal property taxes. All of these things in this bucket now are limited to a maximum of $10,000. And that's the most that you can deduct.
0: Go into a little bit about the real estate piece, because I am I want to make sure people know what that real estate tax looks like, because they might be envisioning different things that might not be correct.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So real estate taxes are if you own a home and you pay property taxes or real estate taxes, whatever they're called, uh, colloquially in your area, um, those are lumped in with all of your state and local income taxes that are paid through paid through your pay stub, all lumped into the same bucket here for this limitation purpose.
0: And that is not talking about our fourth one, which is the mortgage interest. So if we've got mortgage interest, because now we own our home and we've got some state, local real estate that we capped at 10K thanks to living in California, and now we've got mortgage interest on probably some obscene mortgage what can I do with this mortgage interest?
1: Man, Mortgage interest is, yeah, and, and we've got some fun rules here too, Ryan. So we've got more always complications.
0: Game. What's with you tax people? Why are we always got all these rules?
1: <laughs> so this is another area where the tax law has changed between 2017 and 2018. Depending on the size of your mortgage, you may be able to duct, deduct all of your mortgage interest as an itemized deduction if your mortgage was over one million dollars in principal balance during the year and you took it out before january 1st of 2018 the balance underneath a million dollars is still deductible the interest on it if it's over a million dollars then we've got this computation that we need to do it gets a little complicated we've got to gotta figure out what your average balance is over the year, and and we have to basically prorate your mortgage interest so that it's not all deductible um, for the piece that's over a million dollars.
0: I know it's probably gonna be a little more complicated than we wanna describe on air, but maybe try just in as high level terms as we can, if you basically are over that amount, which the amount changes, John's about to tell you, Mm -hmm. uh, but if you were over that amount, how would someone actually calculate that piece
1: yeah so let's take an easy example because my math skills are not good uh, without a calculator right. for me so we'll, we'll make the numbers really
0: easy cpa is not good at math no it's all, <laughs> it's all electronic these days
1: <laughs> that's right so let's say you have a 1.5 million dollar mortgage that was taken out in january of 2016 and you pay $50,000, let's make it easier number, let's say you pay $75,000 of interest on that $1.5 million mortgage. So approximately one third of your mortgage interest for the year then is not going to be deductible because it's above that million dollar cap that we talked about earlier. So of the $75,000 of mortgage interest that you pay, only $50,000 in this example is gonna be able to be used as an itemized deduction.
0: And in that, is there a cap like the 10K that we have for your real estate property, state income, local income tax? Yeah, there's
1: no other cap other than testing for whatever the mortgage balance is, and if it's above the $1,000,000 threshold. And then, um, as you mentioned earlier, that threshold dropped for mortgages taken out beyond uh, January 1st, 2018 to $750,000. If you have a recent mortgage, you've got that lower limitation that you have to deal with.
0: Mm-hmm. So we've gone through some of the big itemized pieces, and I know there's a couple of self-employed deductions and maybe talking through a little bit about Social Security tax and Medicare. Why don't you just give us a high level on that? We don't have to go super in the weeds, but if one of our listeners is self-employed, right? what kind of tax surprises do they have coming in store and is there deductions that they might be able to take
1: so the big one for self-employed individuals uh, is any related business expenses related to that income and i think we've talked a little bit about uh, some of that on on a prior episode so we won't get into too much detail on business expenses but just keep in mind that anything that you're spending related to that income is likely a deduction that we should consider um, on the return. Outside of that, though, there are some other deductions um, that go along with being self-employed. One of those is self-employment tax deduction. And uh, this is your Social Security and Medicare taxes that you're paying as the, the employer uh, in, in your situation. You think, well, I'm self-employed. I don't have an employer. But the IRS considers you to be both the employer and the employee when you're self-employed. And uh, what you don't always see when you're a W-2 employee is that you have all this Social Security and Medicare taxes taken out of your paycheck, but your employer actually contributes that same amount to the IRS as well. It's just you don't see that part of the transaction when you're a W-2 employee, but you're responsible for it, unfortunately, when you're self-employed. So you both pay that tax, but you also get that as a deduction against your self-employment income, at least for the employer piece. So that's what we're talking about here.
0: So out of that amount, the Social Security tax, you're basically saying half of that can be deducted because of that employer. And we've those that listen to the show know that we talk about having two hats, an employer hat that we put on, usually when we're talking about solo 401ks, right? And then we're taking it off and putting our employee piece on and what we can contribute. So in that same, you know, example, right, John's talking about the the tax side of this piece, not the investment side of that piece. Uh, So I want to round out before we finish here, um, talking about some common tax credits, which we wish we had a whole lot more of, but we don't. But I want to talk through some tax credits. So there's ones about learning. There's ones about kids. So why don't you start and tell us just a little bit, maybe start with kids, what kind of tax credits could be available to those of us that have little humans running around?
1: Yeah. Yeah, credits are the fun ones because uh, they, like we said earlier, these are the ones that really uh, help reduce tax liability. So we'll we'll start off with a child tax credit because that's my favorite one because I've got four kids. This is the best line item on my my return. Yeah, you know, I get some kind of payback. They, I think they cost me way more than the, I get back in the credit. But
0: I, I know they cost you way more than that. <laughs> Unfortunately, these credits aren't a lot of money. But hey, dollar for dollar, I'll take it.
1: Yeah. So the child tax credit law rules changed a little bit with the 2018 tax law changes as well. And the good news here is that the child tax credit is available for a lot more taxpayers than it was prior to the 2018 changes. Um, that's because they upped the income levels that, that allow you to be eligible for these. So for uh, married filing joint couples, you can have gross income up to $400,000 and still qualify for the full Child Tax Credit, and then from a single perspective, it's up to $200,000 of income. If you're at those levels, then uh, you should be looking at the Child Tax Credit on your return and be eligible for that.
0: And then there's, I know there's credits for adoption, and then there's Dependent Care as well.
1: Yep, so Dependent Care is another one um, that is pretty common. The Dependent Care Credit will be available to you in most cases unless you have taken out that money already for flexible spending account through your workplace. So if you have done that there, then um, your credit will either be limited or already taken care of because you've already received the deduction through your W-2. So just something to keep in mind, those things do work in tandem. So you can't double dip on those. You can't get the deduction and the credit. We got to pick one or the other. But you're able to take a credit that's computed based on either $3,000 of child credit or ch- dependent care credit for one child or 6000 for two, and then the credit is figured on that amount, but it's it's generally maxed at 20% of whatever that amount is that you spent. So you, the, the, the credit isn't the full 3000 or 6000, it's based on 20% of that amount.
0: And then there's an adoption credit that I know is quite healthy uh, in terms of it, but I know adopting is significantly more expensive than even the credit. But maybe just quickly chat on if someone was to adopt what kind of credit is available to them?
1: Yeah, the adoption credit is pretty uh, lucrative in terms of helping to offset what can be a lot of expenses uh, when, if you're going through the adoption process. So you definitely want to keep that in mind if you're headed down that route. For 2020, it's limited at a little over $14,000 $14,300. Uh, is based on actual expenses. And this one's that works a little differently than your typical credits and just in terms of how the credit is utilized against your taxes. So unless the adoption is finalized in the current tax year, you have to wait a whole tax year to claim the credit against the expenses that you have. So let's say you start the adoption process here in 2020 and you spend five thousand dollars of legal fees to, to start the process. The credit isn't available this year because the adoption wasn't finalized in 2020. You have to wait till 2021 to claim that part of the credit. Um, so then you can claim that year's worth of expenses. And if the adoption is finalized in 2021, you can claim the rest of your expenses as well in the same year. If it takes a whole nother year to be finalized, which you know, isn't t- terribly uncommon then you'd have to delay another year and and wait for those expenses. So you're basically always a year behind until the adoption's finalized and then you catch up.
0: Mm -hmm. And those are our credits, right? Our child credits and what relates to children. And then there's several that are available to though, like credits that are available around education, which, what credits are available, I should say, around the cost of education or paying for education?
1: Yes, yeah, so there's two main credits. There's American Opportunity Credit and a Lifetime Learning Credit that's available for higher education expenses. These are once again limited in income. So check your income limitations on those and see if, see if they're available for you. But the American Opportunity Credit is generally available to undergraduates, maximum credit of up to $2,500. And then the Lifetime Learning Credit is available for all higher education expenses. And it's limited to up to $2,000 a return, and it's a little less lucrative in that it's not a dollar-for-dollar credit on uh, expenses, so you'd have to have $10,000 of qualified education expenses for the lifetime learning credit to get the maximum $2,000 credit. We always start with the American Opportunity Credit and see if that's eligible first. If you're no longer an undergrad, then we look to the lifetime learning credit.
0: I think these are all extremely helpful. These are some of the more common tax deductions and some of the credits that are available to reduce your tax liability. Obviously having a lower taxable income or just a lower overall total tax bill um, is a nice thing to have, right? We don't want to be paying Uncle Sam any more than we have to. John, thank you so much for all of the time and putting these things, these episodes together for the month of August I know that I appreciate you, but I know everyone else is. We've been getting lots of comments throughout the weeks this month on everything. So thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it and excited to continue the relationship as we're launching the Physician Tax Advisors. So thank you again.
1: Thank you. I hope to be back sometime soon. Maybe we can make every other month tax month. Your your listeners would be really excited about that.
0: I'm not even excited to do that. (laughs) But we're definitely going to have you back on the show, but not a full month of tax. All right? Right. All right. Not a full month of tax. But hopefully this is really important stuff. Like I was saying before, like, it's not the most sexy, fun, amazing topic. No offense, but CPAs aren't usually the life of the party. And I can say that because I've got the undergraduate degree in accounting and could have been one, but thankfully didn't. But taxes aren't that much fun. So we're not going to do it every month. Nice, try.
1: All right. I try.
0: Thanks, John. All right. Well, hopefully that was really helpful. I think that's probably the most helpful of the five episodes that uh, we recorded for you all specifically learning and, and teaching you guys about some tax topics that we really feel like you should understand whether you're doing your own taxes or not. I think they're actually really critical to your financial plan to understand that piece. And I know tax, we haven't talked a ton on it. So I'm happy we were able to do that deep dive for all of you. And like I mentioned in the beginning, we are going to be doing another deep dive next month in September, all about insurance. So we're going to talk about term insurance, we can talk about disability insurance, and I have two amazing guests that I'm bringing on for sure next month to talk about insurance. So I can't wait to bring them on and dive through a bunch of the nitty gritty things that we think you should know about insurance, because that is one really important piece of your financial plan. It's all about the protection of your income and your earning potential that you have. So really excited to be doing that. Like I mentioned also in the beginning, if you have received value from the podcast, which I hope you have at this point, please make sure that you share this with one other physician or physician family. I really want to continue to grow our community to continue to empower physicians and really bring all of your financial acumen up as high as I possibly can while still trying to make this stuff fun and making finance fun is is quite the task so hopefully I'm able to do that and continue to do that for you all thank you so much for being part of the community I really appreciate each and every one of you and as always remember the important disclaimer that this is not specific financial advice this is not specific tax advice this is educational in nature And I'd love to be helping you one-on-one with your financial planning needs. If that is your need, you can do that at physicianwealthservices.com. If you are in the need for a new CPA, if you're sick of teaching your CPA what the backdoor Roth is, or you really just want to lower your tax bill and have some proactive planning, we encourage you to reach out to physiciantaxadvisors.com. And we are on a wait list and we'll be opening that up here any minute, especially if you're listening in real time, this will be open up within the week. But for all of you that are listening uh, a little bit later on, still come join us. We'll probably be in a wait list, but love to help you out there as well. So thank you so much for being here again. And I will see you guys on Friday. Cheers.